Good morning. Am I on? Am I, can you hear me? I am on or yes, okay. Because I feel like I can't hear myself. Okay, am I, am I good? Okay, that, that was so beautiful. Sometimes I, I hesitate to even get up and speak after worship like that. It feels so gentle, and I felt like we could really feel the Lord enter the room. I mean, what can I add to that? I, I don't even know. I feel so inept. Um, yes, I have a marker. I'm going to channel my inner Casey today. Um, just I wanted to say something real brief. May 8th is our last awake just if you wanted to mark it on your calendar. And um, I just personally, knowing this is my last time to talk to y'all before May 8th, um, just wanted to thank you. I know there's so many places that you could be on a Wednesday morning, and the fact that you purpose to get here and share your time with us, I know it is just something I never, ever take lightly. And it has been an absolute privilege to be with y'all this year and see what the Lord has done. It's just, it's really been incredible. So I just personally wanted to, to thank you. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit today. I'm going to, the Lord had shown me something back in the fall. I feel like I'm so hot, but I also know sometimes that's just God that I feel. Or maybe it's, you know, I'm almost 50. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. Is it that? Okay, it's just like a common... It's just like... <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is why Deborah and I, whenever they turn the heater on here, I'm like, no, please don't, I'm dying. Um, well, first I did want to mention this. Casey and I had the privilege of going to Puerto Rianzas to do a women's retreat for a church out of Corpus Christi, and we had actually done the same retreat last year. And um, not all the same people came, but we had a, different people come this time. And the Casey and I were talking about it last year. We had offered to pray, and no one, it's okay, no one wanted prayer. It's all right. We're not, I mean, that we're here. This time on Friday night, I finally had to say we can only pray for one more person. The fruit on this past weekend was ridiculous. And Casey, we, we went back to our room because, I mean, we were just getting tired. We knew we were going to be doing it all again the next morning. And we just said, look, you know, we can take one more and then we can pray for whoever tomorrow morning. But um, it was just incredible. It was like Casey said, it's like we picked up where we left off. It's like, you know, it just there was just more. And I what I love this year, you know, it's funny when you when you talk to a group and then you ask them, like, well, does anyone want to share or have a testimony? Everyone's like. And that was kind of how it was last year. And this year, we, we asked again, and I was so proud because, uh, you know, some people started to share what they had um, experienced. They wouldn't stop asking questions. They wouldn't stop asking questions. I mean, they were just so hungry, and, I'm, and there's a two testimonies in particular. Um, I wanted to not give all the information, but I just thought this is just amazing. One particular person we were had prayed for Friday night and really were going through forgiveness with this particular person. And um, someone came to her mind that she goes, I can't even believe this person is coming to my mind. And she shared the next day just how she feels complete. She's like, I feel like I'm just whole on the inside. She just could not get over how she felt. Another one, woman in particular that I prayed for had been battling depression on and off for a year. I mean, serious depression. And so we prayed, and then um, I saw her 20 minutes later, and I was like, how, how are you feeling? And she said, I feel like a 50-pound weight has been lifted off of me, and I can think. Like, she couldn't, she, had, she was so foggy. She's like, I can think. And literally, her countenance changed, and I said, that's Jesus. And she goes, I've never, ever in my life experienced this before. And it was just, and so they already asked Casey and I, they're like, will you come back again next year? They're already asking for y'all to come back, and I just... It's amazing. Um, the other group that I thought was incredible case that we encountered was there was a group of women there who run the pregnancy center down in Corpus Christi. They are on the front lines of helping young teenage mom make the decisions to keep their baby. And they were so exhausted and weepy and, I mean, grieving. I mean, they are literally on the front lines every single day doing the sonic from the intake to the sonogram to everything that they do. And they were sharing that Corpus is actually the, the city, the largest city of that size that does not have an abortion clinic in it. 
So if they want an abortion, they come to San Antonio or Houston. Like they've, I just thought that is incredible. You know, Corpus Christi does mean body of Christ. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is, and I'm from Corpus. And, and so it's interesting um, to go back there. And I mean, a lot of people I didn't even know at the retreat, but I thought this is fascinating. So it's just, a, it's interesting because we get so used to being together here on a Wednesday morning, like what Lisa got up and shared, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's amen. Like, we just expect more and more of the testimony, but it's, I love going and sharing because you realize not everyone's living in this atmosphere all the time, y'all. You know, and you, we kind of can take it for granted. We can take it for granted that, wow, Pedro's like got a whole new life and he's fine. Or, you know, I mean, we just take it for granted these miracles are happening all around us. And um, it's pretty extraordinary. So anyway, I was so excited about that, and just, it was amazing, and um, any, in fact, Lindsay Adami was there, she was there, had, because you went to that church, right, Lindsay? No, no, Amy puts it together. Oh, Amy puts it together, and that's how you knew, okay. Anyway, well, next year, if anybody wants to come, and they still have room, because you're out there at this Episcopal Diocese retreat, and so you're on the beach, and it's really fun. It's fun. Anyway, getting, I'm getting excited and off my topic, but I'm going to share with you all something the Lord had shown me back in the fall, but I didn't have the other piece of it recently until about the last month, and it really is about the journey of our faith. We, um, I think we have this, this mindset that we're going to be tested, and we're not tested, our faith is tested. You know, when we um, become Christians, we, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, uh, God's just testing me. And I'm like, no, you're worthy. Like, everything that's getting ready to happen in Holy Week, that's because you were found worthy. Before you were born, the Lord saw you in your mama's womb, and he knew how amazing he made you, and he said, you are worthy. So it is, uh, we are not getting tested, but your faith will be tested. Now, how do I know that? Well, let's take, think about this. When Jesus came up out of the water and he received the Holy Spirit and the Lord spoke over him, what happens to Jesus after that? He's in the wilderness and his faith is tested, which means if Jesus is perfect theology, we're gonna, our faith is going to be tested our entire life. And so the Lord began to show me um, this revelation of the journey of our faith. And I thought, wow, if I can lay this out for you, what it's really helped me do is it's helped realize it's not about me. You know, the enemy wants us to think it's all about us because then what will happen is we will begin to self-sabotage, yeah. which is exactly what he wanted Jesus to do when he took him up on the cornerstone of the temple and said, throw yourself down. He wanted him to self-sabotage. He wanted him to commit suicide. That's like his favorite thing, if you want to get really sick about it, is suicide. He loves that. Self-sabotage. It's not about us. And when we can realize it's about my faith, and my faith is getting tested, then we're going to be able to progress on this little journey so much faster. So, there's four little stair steps that I want to take you on. The first one is, and I'm going to write down here because I'm going to write up there later, acceptance. Like we accept, and that's a pretty easy one, right, is we accept Jesus Christ. And if I misspell anything, I'm sorry, but text has ruined my spelling. It's like I keep wanting to spell family like tamale. And I'm like, okay, wait, hold on. I mean, it's weird how that has ruined. And I don't know if it's, I don't know what that is, but I'm like, tamale? So I always, I now I'm, I'm, I'm a little paranoid that, do I, is that right? Somebody? Okay, see, you feeling me right now? I know, so just, if it's wrong, God bless me. Okay, so this is, this is what happened. The very beginning thing is we accept Jesus Christ, right? Now, what's interesting is if you've grown up in the church all your life, which I had, and you accept Jesus Christ as a child, what happens when you stray and, and, and you've lived a life like I did, not accepting Jesus? I think there's this power that we, when we become 18 or older as an adult, I do think we're required to accept Jesus like with our full adult comprehension. Anna Marie, tell, thank you, you're nodding, going, yes, you're right. I think there's this part of us that the Lord wants us to come in as an adult and say, Jesus, I accept you. I really do. Because as a child, our parents are sort of doing this for us. 
in a way. But then I think is so I honestly, y'all, didn't accept Jesus until I was 35. I had, as a child, I was confirmed, I was baptized, but I did not accept him as my Lord and Savior until I was 35 years old. I had not that whole other time. So we go through this stage of accept Jesus, and um, I believe when we do that, that's when we sort of begin to start seeking out kingdom community. When we've gone through acceptance, we start to look for other people that are, that are like-minded. After we accept, we go into this place of belief. Which, yeah. Okay, okay. Thank you, Debbie. That, that would be helpful if someone just... And what happens here, this is the most interesting place because this is where our mindsets start to get challenged. This is where um, we're really, we begin to question God. We begin to question ourselves because what happens is we think something, once we accept, Jesus, like, everything's just going to be really easy. <laughs> and so when, this, so when we get here and there's been nothing easy, our mindsets are getting challenged. I know. Deborah, amen. You give Deborah the mic. Yeah. <laughs> but the good thing is, is that God wants us to question him here because he wants to answer us. You know, he wants to... And, and we have this desire that we want to be free internally. And, and what happens when we come into belief is that our wounds start to get highlighted. The pain in our life starts to become highlighted. And it, it begins to conflict with the gospel. And um, we realize here we have a spirit man. And this is why I think inner healing, and I'm not just saying this is a plug for inner healing. I think inner healing is the key to moving beyond the pain and, and the challenge that we experience in this stage of belief. Because inner healing is really inner hearing where you start to hear the voice of God for yourself. We begin to unlearn our defaults. Remember when Deborah talked about defaults back in the fall of what we fall back on? What happens in belief is we begin to unlearn our defaults. We begin to walk with others with the same desire to grow in community. Like being here at Awake, you know. We begin to get uh, this victory within. I want to read a passage out of 1 Peter 5 about belief, verse 6 through 11, and it says, if you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there, for he always tenderly cares for you. Be well balanced and always alert, because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Take a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. For you know that your believing brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kinds of troubles you endure. And then after your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace, who's called you to share in his eternal glory in Christ, will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will, firmly, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. And he has all the power needed to do this and forever. What happens is we, when we don't, um, when we get frustrated that uh, we're being challenged, I, what I see is people stagnate here. And this is the double-mindedness. They can't really get past it. Did God really say that? It, it's just this constant tug-of-war battle in their mind. And so um, it... it they're, they're really having a hard time moving just beyond belief of, yes, God is who he says he is. I remember when my daughter was in seventh grade, and um, <clears throat> Georgia was really, really sick. She had a really sick digestive disorder. And so, I don't know if you've ever gone through it. Sorry, it just it makes me emotional. When you ever gone through a kid that's experienced um, a pretty high level of sickness, and you're in and out of you know, clinics and things for about six to eight months. I remember her saying to me one night, she was up at three in the morning and she had, if you ever dealt with Crohn's disease, you know how painful that is. And she, you know, she's in seventh grade. We chose not to um, do steroids because I wanted her to not be sterile for the rest of her life. She hadn't hit puberty yet, so we were doing an alternative treatment. 
We were up at three in the morning one night because she was having a flare up and she just, finally she said, Mom, why is God doing this to me? If I didn't know God, that would have wrecked me. You know, if I hadn't been willing to allow God to challenge my mindsets and get inner healing, that would have wrecked me right there and I would have just gone, I don't know, and we would have just caved in in this moment. And I just held her and I said, sweetheart, God is not doing this to us. I said, I don't know everything, but I know that he's with us and we're going to get through this. You know, I see, what I think the saddest thing is that in the church we're so busy wanting to get people to accept Jesus, but we don't help them take care of their beliefs. What are you believing? Are you able to take every thought captive? I think that's why I'm so passionate about giving people the tools so that they can take every thought captive because the enemy's going, okay, fine, you accepted Jesus, boom. I'm going to, you know, he's just going to challenge that every day of our life. Every day. Um, I accepted Jesus in 2009. And then in 2010, I woke up one morning and I remember just having all of this pain up and down one side of my body. And I really wasn't sure what it was. It was really, really burning. It was like all my lymph nodes were just on fire over here. And it went on and on for about three weeks. You know, you just think, well, maybe this is weird. Some kind of weird virus or something. And so finally I thought, maybe I better get some blood work. And so I went in and got blood work. And you always know that when they call you back in, we need to go over your blood work. You're just like, uh-oh. So I've only, I've only accepted, this is one year out of me accepting Jesus. But I, you know, I accepted Jesus here at Christ Healing Center. So Jack and Anna Marie have you know, taken me in as their spiritual daughter. And I'm getting trained in prayer ministry. And you know, the Lord is really uh, changing all of my belief systems. And I'm really becoming into the knowing of how amazing he is and how loved I am. And, and so I went back in to visit with the doctor who was just precious. He's a very strong Christian. And he said, I hate to tell you this, but you have lupus. And I was just like, okay. And he goes, so I'm going to need to send you on to a rheumatologist. And he goes, you know, there's no cure. And you need to understand what this is going to look like for the rest of your life. And I just, and I think at that time I had Richard with me. He was probably like six. And, but so he said, let's, let's put him in the other, you know, there's another room. Let's just open that door so he can go over there. Because I, you know, I started crying and he held my hands. He goes, let's pray. And so we prayed, and so then I, I left there, and I just, I was like, okay, God, I, I'm such a newbie in my faith, but I know you are good. Like, I know this is not what you have for me. And I remember coming to Jack, and I was like, I just need prayer. And I remember thinking, one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not getting on the internet to find out what happens when you have, I'm just not doing all that. You know, I'm going to protect this mind. I'm going to protect myself. And I told Carl, and I said, Carl, that's my husband, I said, but we're not telling anybody else. Because the other thing is, I didn't want people talking about it. Well, you know, my friend had, I didn't tell my mom, I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell his, I just didn't want that interfering with what we were going through. And so we, I go to the rheumatologist, and he has my blood work, and he's this precious older man. And so he's, we're going through everything, and he's um, running tests, and he goes, now, sweetheart, I mean, he, what we can do is we can put you on, you know, some steroids to help your, your immune system. And I just said, you know, I said, thank you very much for telling me all this. I said, but I just don't believe that this is God's will for me. And he goes, I don't know what it is about you, but I believe you. And he goes, look, if you have any more problems, you come back and see me. And I'm, tell, I'm still in pain. It's not like any of this had gone away. I battled this for six to eight months, and then I was miraculously healed. If you looked at my blood work today, I don't have lupus. <laughs> Come on. Wow. So and after that, I began to step into what's called knowing. That's how I got from here to here where I just know who God is. What happens in knowing is you just get, you're really quick to identify the lies. Like at that point, you're just almost can sort of see the way the enemy is setting up these, these ambushes coming at you. You are able to declare his lordships and all the circumstance. I think what happens here is that you begin to experience this recalibration in your whole internal system where you just live from a knowing of who God is. 
we no longer think, well, I think this, we know who he is. We come into this place after all these years of experience, and because I do think stepping into knowing means I have years of walking with the Lord. I have years of, of walking in my faith, and I'm willing to have my faith tested. I'm willing to go through it. And you're girded by kingdom community. I think if you want acceleration in your faith, it's being girded by kingdom community. Every single one of these requires staying in kingdom community. Walking it out, being girded by, and I think in knowing is where you're able to then begin to disciple other people. Um, You begin to have victory around you. You know how to apply his word. It becomes sort of a non-negotiable in your life of, do I go to the word of God? Do I not? You just go. Like, that's just your place. That's... That's, your, that's how you start your days within the word of God. You know how to grow your spirit, man. You're not hesitant on dealing with the triggers. You know, you're very quick to get healing. In other words, if something triggers you, you're quick to be in that community and say, hey, let's pray about this because this is off and I don't, I don't want to be experiencing this. Um, <clears throat> I want to read out of 1 Peter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved friends, if life gets extremely difficult with many tests, don't be, will, be bewildered as though something strange were overwhelming you. Instead, continue to rejoice for you in a measure have shared in the sufferings of the anointed one so that you can share in the revelation of his glory and celebrate with even greater gladness. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are greatly blessed because the spirit of glory and power who is the Spirit of God, rest upon you. You know, in other words, y'all, we we want our faith to be tested. That's how we're going to figure out um, what the depth of it is. I think if I were to to talk about how the knowing, I would say I'd put the year 2017 next to it. It was probably one of the hardest years of my life. Um, I felt like we, I got hit... uh, There was a natural disaster. There were things going on with my kids. The wheels were coming off. Um, There was marital issues. I mean, I feel like that year I lost a very dear friend. I felt like if there was one year of where I really had to understand the knowing, it was that year. And it was that same year the Lord spoke to me because I finally, I was just exhausted. I was like, Lord, I, I don't have faith for this. And he said, you know what? Do you have faith in my faith for this? And I said, yes. I feel like that's what happens in the knowing is that we come into this place of having faith in his faith. We're no longer grappling with our faith and trying to get our faith up to par. We're, we're, we're coming into this knowing of, God, I believe in your faith for this. Um, at the end of that year, I ended up on my birthday in the hospital uh, having emergency surgery, I got very, very, very sick and my gallbladder was about to, I didn't even know your gallbladder could be so wicked. It was about to explode and I went septic. And um, it was just, it was crazy. You know, I came to Jesus on my birthday, so I was going, like the enemy's gonna try to kill me today. And I kept telling Georgia, because I didn't know if I was gonna get out of this or not. I mean, it was was very bad. And so, they kept wanting to pump me up with more morphine, and I thought, no, like, I've got to stay in my right mind. I didn't want to go to sleep because I didn't know if I was going to wake up, you know. And so, um, but I remember I was laying there in the night, and um, I, was, I knew at that point they'd come in to tell me, okay, this is the deal. You're going to have surgery in a couple hours. And so um, I was in a lot of pain. I was just uh, in and out of awareness, but I remember I could not think of any other Scripture other than, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I was, yeah. you know. But I remember the Lord spoke to me at about, um, I don't know what time it was. It was night. And he said, every word of Scripture that's ever been spoken over you, that you've read, that's been part of your life, is rising up in power within you. And that's when I knew I would live. And that's the knowing Every single word of scripture that's ever been read over you all that you've ever heard rises up in power within you when we just rest in the knowing of who he is for us. I don't think there was nothing that I look back on that moment that I could have done differently. It wasn't like 
I guess my gallbladder had been acting up. I honestly thought I just, my bra was too tight. I don't know. I mean, the doctor <laughs> looked at me afterwards <laughs> when I went back for my post-op, and he goes, wow, you've been battling this a while. And I just said, I, I don't know. I guess it's so easy to kind of just go on. I don't, I, you know, and he goes, well, I mean, you almost ended up in ICU. I'm so grateful that you got to me when you could. And I thought, well, there, I don't think there was anything I could have done differently. It was just that place of, of knowing at that point that God was who he says he was. So the one that he's giving me now that I, I feel like um, I'm really coming into understanding more is, is the foundation of Jesus. See, I think we go from acceptance to belief to knowing then into foundation where we're not rattled by life. We're, and this doesn't mean that we're void of emotion. It just means that whatever comes up, we're not rattled by it. And we're able to hold the space around us. We're able to hold the territory around us. We really know and live in that fact where he says, every place that your foot treads, I'm going to give you that territory. We walk in that territory. And the scripture for this one is out of Matthew 7, 24. Turn over there. Jesus says, everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the rains fell and the flood came with fierce winds beating upon his house, it stood firm because of its strong foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained and rained and the flood came with wind and waves beating upon his house, it collapsed and was swept away. I feel like the foundation is when we come into the understanding of the strong tower that's within us. Meaning, even though we live, you know, I used to think, well, my family's my foundation. No. Or my marriage. No. It's Jesus. See, I think we live with two, we either live with the Jesus foundation. You almost just spelled Jesus. Jesus foundation, which that was a bit ridiculous, or a worldly foundation. See, what I think when we we live here in this Jesus foundation, I think we start to come into understanding authority. See, power and authority are actually two different things in the Bible. The power of God comes into a room, it repairs, it restores, and we always call upon the power of God. The power of God is a gift. Authority is something that's earned. Authority is not a gift. Authority will, you will only carry the measure of authority. It will always compare to the measure of intimacy you have with the Lord. So, in other words, we, we take a kingdom by power, but we rule by authority. So authority is able to remove stuff. You know, authority is where you are able to walk in and you're able to speak to a demonic oppression or something and tell it to be gone and be removed. The power of God comes and the power of God is what brings the creative miracles and helps with the physical healing. But I believe the authority comes when we begin to walk in the foundation stage of our faith. We're living from kingdom perspectives. We don't have a fear of death or man at this point. We're willing to be vulnerable, authentic, and continually stay and help community grow. We're also able then to um, lead moves of God and lead people into the move of God. We're not distracted by the resistance. We're not rocked by the circumstances. And we know that our spirit man leads, not our, our soul. We understand and we practice rest. We move in blessing, praise, and thanks. I think I talked about praise and thanks a couple of weeks ago, but I want to remind you all of the story of the ten lepers, that Jesus healed, comes in contact with ten lepers, and he heals all ten, ten of them. But only one comes back and says thank you, and it says he was made whole. In other words, the ten lepers are there, and if you think about leprosy, it's eaten away, ears, fingers, toes, You know, it eats away. It's not just scabbing. It eats away part of your body. And so he heals them all, meaning the disease is lifted off of them. Only one comes back to say thank you, and he was made whole, meaning his fingers grew back. Skin grew back. But I also think the Lord is alluding to to the other internal part of us. 
When we are able to move in thanks and praise and not be rocked by the circumstances, but always declaring his goodness, always establishing his lordship, we are made whole. I don't know how he does it, but I know that is how he does it. I do think that there is a level beyond foundation. I just, I haven't got the full revelation for that yet because I think we're always moving closer and closer to him in different ways. But what I want to do is I wanted to um, kind of compare a worldly foundation with a Jesus foundation. I thought it was really interesting. um, I heard a, I just driving my mom to Houston yesterday because she had a doctor's appointment and she loves to listen to the news. So, you know, I mean, we listen to the news there, we listen to the news back, but Obviously, everyone is listening to, you know, talking about Notre Dame and the cathedral and the burning of all that. And there was this one English commentator that I thought did a really great job. He was, um, had been to France recently, and he talked about how so many of the Christian churches there are basically really just museums. You know, that France has moved away from God. They are becoming more secular. I think Christianity has shrunk to maybe 10 to 17% of their nation now. Um, hold on a second. He talked about when Notre Dame was built, and this is the part that I loved. He said that, you know, these men were really building this for the glory of God. The whole purpose of Notre Dame was to glorify God. And he said they began to work on this knowing they would never see it finished in their lifetime. Isn't that amazing? But they were building it for us. And see, I think that's the same perspective we carry in a Jesus foundation is I know that what I'm doing right now is for my great-great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren, that I am leaving a legacy that I'm not going to live to see, but they are going to continue to reap the fruit of that. And if that doesn't make us want to move more into this arena and out of that, I don't know what else does. We won't know all the blessings that will come upon our children's children and our children's children, but I know that I'm building something that I will never see as a human in other words, I'll see it from heaven, I'm sure, but I will, my time will be limited. Um, and I think when we begin to, to understand that, then we're able to live out from a different, uh, the beyond the me perspective. It's not just all about me. I think the biggest defining factor between having a worldly foundation and a Jesus foundation is our will. I hear a lot of times, and I hear this with my kids a lot, which is, I want to make good grades. Okay, but how are you going to get there? I'm going to study. Okay, well, what does the studying look like? You know, you really have to break it down. Because want and will are not the same thing. We think want is our will. It's not. You know that old saying, uh, where there's a will, there's a way? I might re-say it like this. Where the will is, there is the way. Because the will is your intentional force. It is your driving force. It's going to drive the boat whether you're aware of it or not. You may want this, you may want that, but if your will is not lined up with the want, you're going to go in the direction of your will. And there is one thing that God will never trump, and that is our will. The mark of true sovereignty is the fact that God allows us to have free will. It's what are you willing to do and not do. It is our intention in a certain direction. The will is actually the setting of our heart. You know, um... People say, well, I want to get up and pray. I want to get up early and pray, but I just can't. Well, the want is there, and I hear it, but it's the will, which means when the alarm goes off, you have to will yourself to get up. Not Just having the want is not going to be enough. So if I live from a worldly foundation, it's going to look like this. I don't have any submission to God. I look obedient, meaning I look obedient, I can say the right things, but on the inside, I'm not submitted to the Lord. You know, have you ever dealt with kids and you teach them how to say, I'm sorry? And they're like, fine, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you're going, okay, but you know they're not submitting. They're just doing what looks obedient, right? Okay, so we do that with the Lord. Yes, I did. I said it, prayed. Okay, whatever, you know. But our will is not submitted to him. So what happens in a worldly foundation is we look really obedient but we're not submitted to the Lord. Instead, our decisions are based on what feels good at the time. It's self-serving and self-preserving. We're driven by fear of man. 
When I grew up, I remember one of the big things that uh, my mom used to say, it's not her fault. She did the best she could. Or I don't have any of that towards my parents. You know, they all can only do what they know to do, right? So she would say, what are other people going to think? You need to pull yourself together. You need to, what are other people going to think? So what happens is, what are other people going to think became a guardrail of I living within that. And if you have teenagers, you know they live in a fishbowl. And right now with social media, it's like that's so compounded about what other people think. And so it actually drives you to this fear of man, where you're more concerned with other people's opinions about you than you are about what you know God thinks about you. And it really, that conflicts with us having a Jesus foundation because I'm constantly living in reaction to what other people are thinking about me. Does that make sense? And it's also in the worldly foundation, I work to get my way to self-satisfy. Meaning I'm not comfortable when I don't get my way. It's much easier if I can just drive everything. I'm going to use manipulation just to kind of get my way because I don't get, I'm not comfortable when I'm not getting my way. It's that religious mindset that tells you what to do, how to look, but it never penetrates the heart. We disconnect by doing it ourselves versus going and submitting to godly wisdom and saying, Lord, okay, what are you saying about this? We're more concerned with how we appear to others than being authentic with others. And really, that is driven by self-loathing. And so we're compensating about looking and, and feeling perfect in front of other people because deep inside we're so unhappy with who we really are. It's easier to partner with doubt and unbelief here, and it breeds criticism, comparison, and self-judgment. We're driven by a desire to gain control in a worldly foundation. You know, the, the two biggest um, things that they say drive humans is a quest for knowledge and control. Knowledge and power is what drives us as, as a human. Not as a Christian, as a, just in our human nature, is knowledge and power. And in this place of a worldly foundation, we're able to mix Christianity, but it gets frustrating because it's really hard to hear God when I have to be in control. The other day, I was, I was processing something with the Lord, and he just said, okay. And I was, had been processing it maybe two days. And he said, Ashley, would you rather be a blessing, or do you want to just get your way? And I was like, okay, all right, I want to be a blessing, which meant I'm not going to get your way. And we're not, and we're not supposed to get our way. I mean, that's the, the one thing I see our, our kids getting so frustrated when they think, well, things aren't going my way. We are not ever supposed to have everything going our way because only God is the one that can actually fill us and meet all of our needs. So when things aren't always going our way, it gives us a place to come and, and, and connect with him. Now, if I come over here to a Jesus foundation, this is where our will submits to God, which leads to loving obedience. This is where we are willing to say, Lord, not my will, but yours. This is what we saw Jesus do in the garden when he's sitting there and he's sweating the drops of blood. And he's saying, Lord, if it's your will, will you take this cup of suffering from me? He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to go to the cross. He's fully man. He knows it is going to be beyond painful. But then he says, not my will, but yours. When we live from a foundation of Jesus, we are willing to submit to God, which leads to loving obedience. Sometimes we have to ask Jesus, Jesus, I'm willing to let you make me willing. You know, there's that. It's like I do that a lot with with people in forgiveness or just like, I don't know how I could ever forget, forgive someone that's abused me. So I would say, well, are you willing to let Jesus help you be willing? And they're like, okay, I can do that. And that then it, Jesus is able to lead them through forgiveness. Because we don't always come willing to forgive anybody. But he's like, I want to help you become willing. Um, we're driven here by a love for God. We desire to be a blessing and to serve God and others. We're vulnerable with others and we stay in kingdom community being vulnerable. We're more focused on what God thinks than what others think. We allow God to love us. I think sometimes when we're living in that worldly foundation, we don't allow God to love all the parts of us. But here, we allow God to love every single thing about us. And we don't um, have destructive talk about ourselves anymore because we are allowing God to love us. 
We've died to self, which means we are dead to those destructive thoughts about ourself and about others, and we celebrate our birth in Christ. And we firmly believe that Jesus is what God believes about me. It doesn't mean that we're void of mistakes or, or void, avoid of having any feeling, but it does mean that we're, vo- we're void of doubting who God is towards me. Um, in John 5, if you remember, Jesus encounters the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda who's been there for 38 years. And um, he asks him, he says, do you want to be healed? And when he answers him, he, he doesn't say yes or no. He says, well, I mean, my gosh, every time, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, this is not, maybe it went like this, I don't know. But he's like, yeah, I mean, every time I try to get over there, I can't. The angel stirs the water, and then I'm too late, and someone else has gotten the healing. And it's basically all these excuses of why he can't. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. And so he picks it up and he walks. And then the Pharisees are like, hey, why are you carrying your mat? You're not supposed to carry your mat on a Sunday. And he's like, Jesus healed me. And then he finds Jesus later. And he's like, wow, thank you, whatever he says. And and Jesus says, go and don't sin anymore. And I used to think, wow, that's kind of harsh. Like, what did he do? And the Lord, the other day I was driving and he said, what about anything he did? Go. And don't ever doubt me again. Go and don't ever allow yourself to be separated from who I am for you again. That's what he was talking about. It wasn't a sin that he committed. It was go and do not ever, ever doubt who I am for you again. That, That my will and my desire is to heal you and love you. Don't ever think that I'm not wanting to help you. Don't ever let yourself be separated from me again in thought. Um, In Psalm 30, there's this, these are like two, this is two little revelations on scriptures I got that were kind of, had changed my perspective. Psalm 30 says, joy comes in the morning. Now, I always thought that that meant you're going to go through this hard time and then joy is going to be on the other side. Who thought that? Anyone else think that? Okay. This, was, this is coming in this whole foundation thing. The Lord said, Ashley. I, I love it when I'm just, he's just interrupting. He goes, what happens in the morning? And I said, you wake up. And he goes, joy comes when you wake up. It doesn't come when you go through this dark time and then you're going to have delayed joy. He goes, joy comes when you wake up to who I am for you, which means it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. Joy comes when you wake up to who I am. So when he says joy comes in the morning, he's meaning when you wake up to who you are in Christ and who he is for you and that Jesus is what he thinks about you and that he wants to heal you and love you and protect you and cover you and cleanse you, then joy is there. It's not about my circumstances. It's about who Who he is for me. See, I believe that when we live from this Jesus foundation, we live in this this incredible mystery and revelation of the cross. Y'all, it is everything. There isn't anything I can add to Sunday. You know, all we can do is is kind of get together and encourage each other. But I want to wind us down here because the Lord asked me to do this. And I feel like it is... It's how we embrace our life as little Christ. You know, C.S. Lewis calls us little Christ, that we're all little, little Jesuses, which means that we really understand that our foundation was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We really understand what the blood of Jesus Christ does for us. So what I want to do now, and you don't have to take notes on this because I really do want you to receive this part, but if you want to, go ahead. I'm going to read to you the seven ways that Jesus bled for us. It is graphic. Um, you're probably not going to hear this on Sunday morning because it's just hard to hear. You may hear it on a Good Friday service, which I think is great. Seven in the Bible means completion and perfection. Uh, the Lord created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. The Lord blessed Abraham seven ways. So seven in the Bible is perfection and completion which meant that um, when Jesus bled for us, it was perfect and complete. And then I want to to help you understand what the the blood of Jesus Christ bought from you, because what I feel like the Lord's saying is we get to accelerate to foundation. 
Like we just, after today, like we just get to accelerate. Oh, it's about our faith. It's not about us. Okay, boom, 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 boom. And then we get to live from Jesus' foundation, which means that we're taking nations and territories for him. That we're not just worried about people accepting Jesus. We're taking territory, which means that places like France will no longer live void of Jesus Christ because we're going to operate in power and authority. And when people come into contact with someone who operates in the power and the authority of the gospel, they want that. They don't want to just hear about another religion. They want power and authority. The first way that um, <clears throat> Jesus bled was he sweated drops of blood. Luke twenty two forty four says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. The second, he bled from beatings to his face. Luke twenty two sixty four says, And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that hit you? There's a Spanish translation that gives the idea that Jesus' face was almost like hamburger meat. Number three, he bled from having his beard ripped out. Isaiah 50, 60 says, 56, excuse me, Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Number four, he bled from brutal scourging. Matthew 26, 27, 26 says, Then he released Barbarus unto them, and when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered them, him to be crucified. So Jesus was flogged across his back um, and his sides with... Uh, sharp pieces of metal and bone that were attached to a whip, which meant that when they came in contact with Jesus, it would rip out uh, not only skin, but pieces of his flesh. Number five, he bled from a crown of thorns crushed onto his head, Matthew 27, 29. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. Number six, he bled from nails driven through his hands and feet. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, they crucified him. That's Luke 23, 33. And number seven, he bled from a Roman spear piercing his side. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forth came blood and water. That's John 9, 1934. With the blood of Jesus, <clears throat> he bought your protection which means you're covered under the blood of Jesus. That's the meaning of Passover, that the evil one shall pass you over. There's salvation in the covering of the blood. The blood of the new covenant is shed for many. Number three, there's healing under the covering of the blood. In Isaiah, it says, by his stripes were healed. The Number four, there's provision under the covering of the blood. He brought them out with silver and gold. That's Psalm 105, talking about the Israelites. He brought them out of the wilderness. Number five, there's life under the covering of the blood. Psalm 105 also says there were none feeble among his midst. In John 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Number six, there is forgiveness under the covering of the blood. <coughs> Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. This is why when we lead people through forgiveness, it's a divine exchange. Just Jesus saying, Is what I did on the cross enough to pay for the debt that they owe you? And then you go through that process of accepting his blood as payment for their debt. Number seven, there's cleansing under the covering of the blood. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Number eight, there's redemption under the covering of the blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. That's Ephesians 1.7. Number nine, there's justification under the blood. Romans 5.9 says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Number 10, there's sanctification under the covering of the blood. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate, Hebrews 13.12. There's peace under the blood. For it is pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, 
By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 1, 19, 20. Number 12, there's washing in the blood. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. There's overcoming power in the blood, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, Revelation 12, 11. Number 14, they're speaking power in the blood, crying out for mercy, grace, and blessing on your behalf. Hebrews 12.24 says, To Jesus, the, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And the last thing is there is accessing ability in the blood, meaning we have the boldness to go before God because of the blood of Jesus. Y'all, that's the gospel. We don't talk about the blood of Jesus that much, but I just didn't want to leave here today to not say that that's the most important thing that we can get revelation about is the cross and everything that the blood of Jesus bought for us because we really are called to live from this place. And if you know that on your journey of faith, it's about your faith and it's not about you, that God's not doing things to you, and God's not testing you, but your faith is going to be tested, then you get to understand that you live under the blood. You live under the blood, which means you're protected, you're covered, you're sanctified, you have accessibility to the things of heaven, you have healing. So there's nothing that we can't do. Now, do we always see the full manifestation of everything that we want all the time? No. But you also have to realize that most of the time, God doesn't want to do things for us. He wants to do things through us. And when he wants to do things through us, that means we are going to live this life where we're going to journey in our faith, becoming more and more equipped and empowered in who we are as God's children. So I want to pray for y'all. And then um, if anybody would like prayer afterwards, I'm here. And Karen, Deborah, Casey, are you praying? Yeah. Okay. We are all praying. Very good. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much. Even when uh, it is hard to even think that our words of thank you are enough to show our gratitude about the cross and everything that you did, I just thank you, Jesus, that when you died on the cross that you thought of each and every one of us. I thank you that the thoughts that you have about us are so much greater and good than we could imagine. Let your good thoughts towards us outnumber the grains of sand. Lord, as this week progresses, I just ask that that resurrection life that came upon you and that when you took your first breath on on Easter morning, that we would begin to breathe your life into us, Father God, that you would just begin to settle every single place in us that raises up and says, it's about me and I can't do it and I shouldn't do it and I won't and I'm not and I can't. All of that the enemy tries to gnaw at us would be silenced. I thank you that you are elevating our thoughts about who we are. I thank you that you are giving us strategy about how to move in this world. That we are walking into this foundation of Jesus that literally is taking territory simply because we live out of a place of extravagant love. Lord, I ask that you would bless each and every woman here this week and their families, and that this Resurrection Sunday would just be one of such incredible fullness and joy and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.